Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Oh, there's so much misinformation out there when it comes to nutrition. And we all want to be healthy. We all want to eat right. But we're not really sure what to believe or who to believe. I found the expert. She's a registered dietitian, owner of Luxford Nutrition, and we are going to do nutrition myth or fact today and dispel or prove some of these things that we've been hearing for years. Emily Luxford joins us on the program. Emily, welcome. How are you doing? I'm great, and I'm so excited to play a little bit of a game with you. Yeah, and these are things that the more I think about it, the more I come up with, and I've always wondered... And I've never really gotten the right answer. So I'm I'm excited to kick in what we're going to do. Are you ready? Why don't we just do it? Yeah, let's do it. This one comes from me shopping and making smoothies. And okay. myth or fact, frozen, frozen vegetables and fruits are just as nutritious as fresh. Myth or fact? Fact. Okay. All right. Always wondered about that. Somebody told me to the contrary because it changes the fiber makeup and you're not getting the same kind of fiber. I don't know if that's true either. Well, so this is what most people don't realize is that fruits and vegetables that are frozen are frozen at their peak point of freshness because they're frozen right after they've been picked, which makes them just as nutritious as fresh produce. And even actually some might argue that more fresh than fresh produce or more nutritious than fresh produce because if you think about it, fresh produce has had to go through the fields where it was picked to a processing area, to a truck, and that truck has been driven miles to get to a store and then it sat on that store shelf waiting mm. for you to pick it or purchase it and then it sits on your counter or in your fridge until you eat it. So that can be a very long time span between when it's actually picked and when it's consumed versus if you eat a frozen fruit or vegetable, you're getting all that nutrition right as it was picked out of the field. And another way, if you're not a big fan of frozen fruits and vegetables, another way to kind of shrink that time period between when you eat the food and when it's been picked is to go to local farmer's markets and get fresh produce that's close to your home. And that way that's really shrinking that time period where it's kind of shelf, um, has its shelf life, so to speak. But the key to frozen fruits and vegetables to make them just as good as fresh produce is to make sure that they don't have added sugars, they don't have a lot of sodium packed in, or fats that have been added. So avoid the cream sauces, avoid anything that has a, like a you know, sugar sauce to it, or anything that has sodium. And you'll just have to read the label to find out what is actually in it. So for example, if you want frozen strawberries, the ingredient should just say strawberries. There shouldn't be strawberries and sugar or strawberries and salt or strawberries and olive oil or strawberries and a fat. It should just say strawberries. And that way you know that you're really just getting the fruit. It sounds to me, Emily, that it may be a better choice to go with frozen because you're getting it at the peak of freshness. And I just want to add before we do the next one here that my biggest frustration is buying fruit and it going bad within a couple of days. Like I buy, I buy so many strawberries, so many cartons of strawberries from, mm-hmm. for my daughter. And a day or call it three days later, I pick it up and it's moldy. I'm like, well, all right, let me try organic. Same thing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to do. It's, it seems to be kind of the rule when I, I buy a lot of fruit. I don't know why that's happening. Well, and that's just because it's been sitting on the shelf for a long time before you actually get into your home. So the yeah. farmer's markets help with that. The frozen fruits and vegetables help with that. I mean, we're all trying to have some sort of a budget and seeing food that's wasted is 
probably painful for all of us, oh, no matter yeah. what your income level. Um, so that's key, farmer's markets, frozen fruits and vegetables. But also, if you start to see your fruit um, have like a little bit of a softness to it, which strawberries are kind of known for, then soak them in really cold water, and you might find that that adds on a few days extra before they get moldy. Okay. The other thing that I like to do is I like to wash my fruits um, with, and some vegetables with slight like vinegar solution, vinegar and water, and then that also helps maintain their freshness for longer too. Excellent. All right. Appreciate that. Myth or fact, nutrition myth or yeah. fact is what we're doing. 20 grams of fiber a day is enough for the average person. Myth or fact? I would say it's actually a myth. Okay. It's false. Now, some people would say 20 grams a day is enough. But really, in my opinion, most women should be having at least 25 grams a day of fiber, and men should be a little bit higher, closer to 30 grams a day. Uh, and the key is, is that most people aren't consuming enough fruits and vegetables. If we consumed our goal, which is typically half the plate at each mealtime of fruits and vegetables, you would meet, in your, you will meet your fiber intake goal. But most of us don't do that. Most of us are focusing either on carbs or fats or proteins. And we're really lacking the amount of veggies that we need to really meet that fiber goal. Mm, Okay. All right. Fair enough. By the way, while we're talking about grams and intake, protein, I'm not going to do a myth or fact here. I just want to ask you point blank. What is a reasonable amount? The reason I'm asking this is somebody told me recently that the guidelines have changed and it's like 50 grams of protein a day, maybe even more, 60, that we should be consuming. Yes, I, I think that it really depends upon each person and their body frame and their activity and what their needs are. For example, someone that has kidney dysfunction is not going to need as much protein as someone else who is, you know, six feet plus, uh, who does a lot of, um, you know, bodybuilding and things like that and has different goals and activity levels. But I really do believe that less is more when it comes to protein and we should really be sticking to kind of that quarter of the plate or which is about the size of a deck of cards or what's even more appropriate for you is actually looking at the palm of your hand and your palm of your hand is really what the portion of protein should be for you at your meals. Uh, and that's probably what's most appropriate for your body frame and size. But we're increasing the protein significantly and we're really forgetting about fruits and vegetables again. And we really need to have more of a what I call a plant forward uh, way of living to really reduce inflammation, meet our needs, and prevent disease. Excellent. How about this one? Nutrition, myth or fact, eating just before bedtime is fattening, myth or fact? It is a myth. I would hmm. say fiction. You know, I really don't believe that the time of day is what determines your body composition or how your body utilizes those foods. Now, there are some situations where maybe this would, I would have a different opinion. But for most people, it's not when you eat, but it's what you eat and what is the quality of the food that you're eating. And that's what's really going to impact how you metabolize and utilize those foods and how you benefit from them. So when you say the quality of your food, how do you mean that? I mean, you want to get as much bang for your buck as possible. So that's not in terms of calories, but that's related to nutrition. So there's a lot of food that have calories, but they don't have any nutrition. This is where we see a lot of people who go on weight loss diets, and they're focused so much on calorie intake, and they're not really looking at what they're eating. Are they getting in their vitamins? Are they eating minerals? Do they have fat in their diet? Do they have protein? Do they have carbs? 
Do they have everything that they need to make their body work? And instead, they're focusing just on a number. But 80 calories of one food could be very different from 80 calories of another food. And that's where we have to really look at, are you getting a lot of nutrition? If you're getting nutrition at bedtime at 9 o'clock or 10 p.m. at night, and that's when you need it, then that's when you should be eating it. The other thing, though, to consider is, why are you eating late at night? Are you eating a lot of foods that are devoid of nutrition and just calories because you've been starving yourself all day long and you really haven't had a really good breakfast meal to begin with that then impacts the rest of your choices throughout the day? Uh, so there's reasons. There's things to look into in more detail with each person, and that's what I would do with a client. But overall, it's not the time of day. It's what you're eating instead. How about this one? Everyone should take a multivitamin supplement, myth or fact? Most, uh, I would say fiction, myth. Uh, most people should be able to achieve their nutritional goals through the food that they're eating. Uh, but some people would need additional support, especially if they have a deficiency, if they have a family or genetic predisposition to something, or if they're sensitive to certain foods, which limits their diet. Those individuals would definitely need a little bit more of a push, that supplemental support through a multivitamin. But ideally, most things should be consumed through food if you're able to meet your goals every day. Got it. Wow. We're learning a lot here. By the way, share your website. Uh, we're going to do it up again later, uh, how somebody can work with you and learn how to make themselves healthy and change their diet. What's your website? Sure. Go to luxfordnutrition.com. That's L-U-X-F-O-R-D, like Lux of Soap and Ford the Car, nutrition.com. Myth or fact? How about, I thought about this one. Gluten-free products are always the healthier food option. Myth or fact? Oh, I'm so glad you brought this one up. This is right up my alley. It is a myth. Hmm. So as a gluten-free girl myself, because I have celiac disease, so I have to be gluten-free, it's not always a healthier option because when they remove the gluten, they have to throw other things in to make that product stick together. Gluten is what holds all these breads and other grains together. It's the sticky stuff. It's the structure of the building. So when we remove that, we have to add sugar or a lot of extra fats. And because of that, that doesn't mean that you're actually eating a better option. You might be actually getting more sugar or more fat than you would be if you were to choose a normal whole grain muffin or a whole grain bagel or whole grain piece of bread. So we really want to stick to gluten-free, like naturally gluten-free, which means foods that are naturally devoid of gluten. So animal proteins, dairy, fruits, vegetables, rice, um, other naturally uh, gluten-free grains like amaranth, uh, millet, buckwheat, even though it says wheat in the name, it's buckwheat. So that's okay. That's gluten-free. So I want to make sure that people are understanding when they're going gluten-free, back in the day when people were originally gluten-free and they had very few food options, they were a very lean population and healthy population because they were living off of plant-based foods and animal proteins and a few starches. Nowadays, we don't see the same result because Luckily, we have so many options today, but at the same time, we have to remember that just because it's gluten-free pizza doesn't mean we can have it four times a week or every day for every meal. Uh, so it's all about moderation and really looking at labels to understand what you are actually eating. Thank you. Because <laughs> I was shopping yesterday and passed by the gluten-free aisle, and I'm like, hmm, you know, the it's all a marketing thing, too, because the packaging makes it look like it's even healthier, but it's really not. How about, you have to turn those packages around and really see what the ingredient list is. To know yeah, but m more times than not, I don't even know what I'm reading. And, and then again, <laughs> that gets us into a whole other territory. 
what they're allowed to put on packaging in the United right. States when it comes mm-hmm. to food. You know, they get yeah. and get away with a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Like one of my favorites is contains organic ingredients. Well, that's great. Doesn't mean it's fully organic. One thing in there could be organic, and then they, that's what they put on the label. Mm-hmm. No, it's definitely it's it may contain organic ingredients, but let me tell you, it's not organic. That's it. It's not the same. Uh, how about this one? Nutrition myth or fact: Eating eggs contain a lot of cholesterol and are not good for you. Oh. Myth. Mm. We give eggs such a bad rap. I mean, it's so sad that we've really destroyed the whole benefit of the egg, which, yes, eggs do have cholesterol. There are some people that are more susceptible to absorbing the cholesterol found in eggs. However, eggs are loaded with other benefits like vitamin D and other fat-soluble vitamins and a great source of protein and omegas. And we want to make sure that we're consuming eggs in moderation so that we reap the benefits of all those foods. And for some people, in terms of their budget, an egg can be, at times, a more affordable protein source for certain people, and it's a quick source of protein for people. So we have to look at the whole person, including their budget and their lifestyle and their cooking abilities, and figure out what is the best source for someone to get in terms of proteins and vitamins and minerals. And an egg does just that, along with its cholesterol, but not in excess is going to create actual heart problems. I believe that was a myth, uh, a marketing ploy many, many decades ago that still stuck, that eggs weren't good for you because of the word cholesterol. Now, that being Mm -hmm. said, I've looked at egg products and your daily intake of cholesterol is a certain number. I've seen a, you know, some of them where it's like 77% of your daily cholesterol intake is coming from this one small meal, you know, one mm-hmm. breakfast meal that was made with eggs. Is that something that uh, we should be concerned about? No, I really tell people not to worry too much about the daily values because everyone's needs are so different that it, you can't really compare in terms of what your needs are and what else you're eating and how you're meeting those goals. So I'd say less um, attention paid to the daily values, more focused on that ingredient list, even if you're a little bit surprised at what you may find. As you said earlier, some of the things you don't even know what they are. If you don't know what an ingredient is, you probably shouldn't be eating it in the first place because if you don't know what it is, how is your body going to know what to do with it? Then there's that. Uh, myth or fact? So we talked before about eating at night and the, the myth about gaining weight. What about skipping breakfast makes you gain weight? Myth or fact? I would say most cases that would be a myth because it's not that skipping breakfast is the problem. It's how that impacts your choices later on in the day. And so it's really about the probably imbalance or food choices that you make later that could lead to the weight gain. There are a lot of people that do intermittent fasting and skip a breakfast and they don't gain weight, they actually lose weight instead, or they maintain a healthy weight. But they have a very controlled sense of how they're eating throughout the day, and they're not leading into the like you know late hours and having snack foods that are loaded with calories but not nutrition. And so it's really a matter of how does that skipping breakfast impact you. If it doesn't impact you negatively in terms of your food choices, then you shouldn't be gaining weight off of skipping that meal. You might benefit from it. Other people may struggle with that. So that's where we have to take it um, patient by patient case. 
What about when you hear people say that breakfast is the most important meal of the day? What are your feelings on that? I think it can be for a lot of people. I mean, breakfast is called breakfast because you're breaking the fast. You've gone all night without eating anything in most cases. Very few people are getting up in the middle of the night to eat. So we want to make sure that we're fueling the body so that the body has energy to go throughout its day and also make smart choices and have smart cravings later in the day. If you start the day with proteins and carbs and fats, then you're going to have balanced choices all day long versus someone who just has maybe a coffee or skips a meal, their body may be craving more foods to kind of make up for the fact that they've been fasting for a long period of time without proper nutrition. So you just brought up a, another one for me, myth or fact. Fasting is a great way to lose weight, myth or fact. There's, it's kind of a controversial topic right now. There's more research coming out actually against intermittent fasting mm. and how that may have negative uh, heart um, impacts. However, I would say that it depends on the person. So I would say it can't be, um, it's not a myth, it's not a fact. Uh, It really just depends case by case and how you actually implement the fasting model. Got it. I wonder about this one. And I've been in the store, my hand has been on the bottle. I'm like, should I buy it? Myth or fact, everyone can benefit from a probiotic. Myth or fact. Oh, well... Are you talking about a probiotic supplement or probiotics in food? Uh, Let's look at both of them. Okay. So I would say probiotics in food are a much more gentle way to maintain your probiotic, I would say, count overall, your gut microbiome. Uh, It's a healthy, balanced way to do it. Not everyone needs a supplement, just like not everyone needs a multivitamin, uh, to meet and sustain healthy, balanced bacteria in their gut. And for some people, especially in my line of work, focusing on digestive disorders and gut health, we see that sometimes that can cause actually some discomfort uh, in terms of supplementing with probiotics. So I would say that no, not everyone can benefit from a probiotic, uh, but some people could benefit from healthy probiotic foods or bacteria or, excuse me, uh, rather fibers that boost the good bacteria in your body rather than taking a supplement of probiotics. Hmm. Okay, so probiotic, prebiotic. I'm confused. What's the difference? Yeah, no, good question. So a probiotic is the actual bacteria. Hmm. A prebiotic is a food source for the bacteria. So food sources for the bacteria would typically include fiber. That's what they need to thrive on. Probiotics is just the plain bacteria, whether it's a lactobacillus or a bifidobacteria. There's so many strains out there, but the key is that we want to feed the bacteria. We naturally have bacteria in our body, so if we just focus on feeding it, it will naturally kind of balance itself out. When we inundate ourselves with probiotic supplements and massive amounts of these various strains, that might be harder on the body to balance itself out. So that's why I like to focus more on increasing fiber intake, trying to boost our bacteria kind of naturally, if you want to consume some, then consume it through fermented foods rather than taking a supplement and let the body do its job, the job that it's meant to do. Now, for some people, we do need a supplement, but that's few and far between. And really, we could do a lot by just making sure that we eat fiber every day. Mm. Uh, Got a couple of minutes left. Do you have some that you want to share? Yeah. One we haven't touched on yet is organic foods always better. What do you think? Do you think that's a myth? 
Um, I'm going to have to say fact. It's actually a myth. Hmm. Do tell. Did you know that studies have shown that organic foods and non-organic foods, so their counterparts, have the same nutritional content? They Okay, so non-organic and organic, same nutritional content, correct? Yes. The, the only difference uh-huh. is that organic foods do protect the consumer from exposure to pesticides and antibiotics, which in some cases is important. But that's why they've come up with a like a dirty dozen or a clean 15. Have yeah. you heard of that before? I, I have, yes. So the dirty dozen is really, for those of you that don't know, the dirty dozen is going to show you what foods are most susceptible to absorbing and retaining the antibiotics and the pesticides. The clean 15 are those typically that have a pretty thick peel that are going to be less likely to absorb and hold on to the antibiotics and the pesticides. But either way, it's really important to wash your uh, fruit and your vegetables pretty well before eating it because even those hard peels, if you cut into it without washing it, then it could carry some of that residue into the fruit or the vegetable itself. But in terms of nutrition content, they're pretty much the same. And so we really are just looking at what is the pesticide component and what is the antibiotic component and how we can pick and choose, depending upon that clean 15 or that dirty dozen, where we should spend our money. We should really spend the money on the dirty dozen and then just wash the clean 15 fruits and vegetables really well to reduce that risk of pesticide. Oh, you are. We're going down, we're going down a rabbit hole here because, and and we're going to run out of time, but that being said, if pesticides were used, yes, we should wash them. I even, even if it's organic, I still wash it, but Mm -hmm. Isn't it already inside the fruit or vegetable if it's not organic and and you can't wash it off? It can be, especially in some of those like Dirty Dozen where they have like a stuff like a strawberry or a berry where it has a softer skin that can really absorb it. So yes, it can be. And that's why we want to try to consume the, you know, clean 15 or uh, choose organic when it comes to the Dirty Dozen. But the key is also that you eat fruits and vegetables. And the biggest issue here is that when people hear about pesticides and antibiotics and they say, well, I can't afford organic, they just stop eating fruits and vegetables entirely. And that's going to do more harm to the body than consuming small amounts of pesticides in fruits and vegetables and maintaining a plant-based or a plant-forward diet. So we want to make sure that we find that balance between what you can afford and what you can get and where are you actually getting the most harm from skipping fruits and vegetables entirely or from getting some pesticides and moderate amounts um, in your diet. So we have to create that balance for mm. each person. So final question here. Emily's in the supermarket. She's going through the fruits and vegetables and she can pick organic or she can pick non-organic. Save, uh, you know, maybe a buck or so on, on uh, cherries or strawberries. Which are you going to pick? It depends upon where the organic is coming from. What does that mean? So in the United States, we have very, very strict guidelines when it comes to organic produce. And I will happily buy and pay for organic produce from the United States. Unfortunately, other areas in the world where we do get some produce throughout the year don't have a strict and don't have to enforce a strict of guidelines for Uh organic produce. So I look at the store. Am I getting organic produce from another country, or am I buying organic produce from the United States? And then I decide, well, what kind of fruit is it? 
is it a dirty dozen or is it a clean 15? And that's how I make my decision. It's my a gosh. very complex answer, but I'm a dietitian, so this is my... This oh, is yeah. What I, this it, it, but it, the key is to look at where it's coming from because you're paying for a higher price from a place that does not meet the same guidelines as we do in the United States. So choose U.S.-based organic produce and try to find things that are on that clean 15 list when possible to save yourself some money. And then at the end of the day, maybe choose organic when it comes to the dirty dozen. Quick question, um, and we're out of time, but what you just said, I'm picking up a container or carton of strawberries, and it says product of Chile or Mm -hmm. insert another country. Yes. Does that, and it's organic, let's just say, Does that mean it's not regulated in the United States? No, they're not regulated in the United States. All right. Fantastic. Not. (laughs) I'm thinking, oh, they're selling it in the supermarket, and it's in the United States. So, therefore, we're we're watching it, and the product just happened to come from another country. But uh, that's an eye-opener. That says a lot right there. Uh, Myth or fact, you offer a free consult. I do offer a free consult, so you can make a complimentary session with me, and we can learn how I can help you uh, meet your health goals. Oh, my gosh. I learned so much today, as did all of us. Uh, very interesting. Uh, maybe we got to do this again, because we could just keep going <laughs> with Mr. Yeah, Facts. Yeah. There's so many out there. Uh, okay, one, well, let's do it. Once again, Emily, what's your website? LuxfordNutrition.com, or you can find me on Instagram at Luxford Nutrition. Thank you so much for today. Really appreciate it. Okay, we'll see you next time. We'll be right back. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. When I was little, I didn't talk for a long time. I liked things to always be the same. Anything new or different would scare and upset me. I was very sensitive to lights and sounds. It was almost like I had bigger eyes and ears than everyone else. So I built secret hiding places where nothing could get in. I didn't like looking people in the eye. It made me feel uncomfortable. I'd throw big tantrums over little things like when my socks didn't match. Sometimes I'd do the same things over and over. Until one day, I found out I had autism. My family got me help. Slowly, I learned how to live with it better. You can see signs of autism in children as young as 18 months. Early intervention can make a lifetime of difference. Learn the signs at autismspeaks.org signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council.